listening to The Real 96 Podcast, a deep dive into all the movies of 1996. Well, most of them, 25 years later. Now here's your host, Nathan Ludwig. Do, 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 do. Vampires, do, 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 do. Tales from the Crypt, do, 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 do. Dennis Miller for some reason, do, 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 do. Hey, Tuesday on this uh, five-day excursion into nonstop horror real 96 podcast episodes we are deep in the horror annals of 1996 yesterday it was a hellraiser 4 bloodline what'd you think about that show with mike lombardo tons of fun huh you are in for such a treat today because we have with us an amazing person human being talented filmmaker tim tromner known for such amazing Amazing short films as uh, The Pikmin Method, Pale Creatures of the Night, Ghosts Doing It, and Shit, They're All Vampires. All these movies are highly recommended. Uh, one day, I, I tell everybody this, and I think I've told Tim this, one day when Tim makes a feature film, it's going to be a thing of beauty. He's so funny. He's got some great comedic timing in his creation, and uh, he's just a funny guy, a genuinely nice person. And well-versed in film. That's really the only criteria we have here for uh, Real 96. Just like at the Genre Blast Film Festival. Be a good person, know your movies, and be fun or funny, or both. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So this talk is about an interesting film called Tales from the Crypt, Bordello of Blood. Starring Dennis Miller, of all people. And uh, if you don't know who Dennis Miller is... Dennis Miller was a comedian. Well, he still is a comedian. He's not dead. But uh, Dennis Miller is an interesting artifact from like the late 80s through the 90s. Uh, he was a comedian, uh, talk show host, um, turned uh, political analyst also. Um, some would say that he's more of a right-wing comedian personality. Um, he was on Saturday Night Live. Uh, and for some reason, he had a starring role <laughs> in this movie where he plays a private eye Um Searching for a missing brother um, who may or may not be, you know, in, in league with a nest of uh, vampire prostitutes uh, in, a, in a funeral home. And that's the gist of this movie. Uh, if you had seen Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight, which is their first movie and a total ton of fun. This is not that movie. Um, I know some people who really enjoy this movie. I know some people who absolutely hate this movie. And then there are people like myself and Tim who kind of go through the movie and pick it apart and pick out the stuff they like and pick out the stuff they don't like. And you'll hear the conclusion we come to uh, after this wet and wild uh, hour or so of uh, Bordello of Blood Talk. I can't wait for you to hear it. So we'll just go right into it. So, Tim, thanks for joining me again on The Real 96 Podcast. The fact that uh, you are back again means that I didn't run you off with this uh, with the minutia the navel gazing of this year in the 90s so like I said thank you for coming back on again um so bordello of blood this is quite the artifact of the mid 90s for those it, who are not is. aware tales from the crypt was a big thing in the 90s um the hbo show that was a show that I always tried to stay up to watch when I was probably too young to watch it. Or, you know, it's just, just, I don't know. Some people may not understand how big HBO was as far as you can't see this stuff on network TV. And there's this gory horror anthology show on HBO that's just going for it. And now they're making movies. And they started with Demon Knight, 
which I think is a pretty fun film. And then I think they planned to do a trilogy of feature films. And then they came across Bordello of Blood. And there was no third one. So that'll tell you <laughs> how well Bordello of Blood did. Did you rewatch this movie for this talk? I did. I <clears throat> I saw it again last night. It's been... Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, Nathan. First of all, it's a pleasure to be back. Um, this this It was fun talking uh, previously, and I'm excited to dive into this. Uh, I, I think Artifact of the Mid-90s is a good way of putting it. Um, but uh, to give you any indication of where how, how I felt about this uh, previously, I... You know, I, I really enjoy the Tales from the Crypt show. Um, I, I, it's something that I do rewatch uh, on occasion. I, I like those old EC uh, horror comics. I thought they did great justice uh, to them with the the show on HBO. I, I love Demon Knight. I think it's a it's a, it's a great movie. A um, little different from the show in some ways. Uh, and then there's this, which is it, it is strange. But yeah, I rewatched it the other night because I I'll I'll tell you I haven't seen it since I first saw it. I first, I rented on VHS, saw it when it came out. Um, and then I saw it again yesterday. This movie came out in August of 1996 and I had been working at a movie theater. My first job, I had been working at the movie theater for about, I don't know, four or five months. And this movie came out, it bombed. There was mm-hmm. no nobody. And I remember going in because as a 16 year old boy, I was in this movie a lot, just watching scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it just, that's just what it is. There was never anybody in this movie. It didn't open big. It flopped. It was gone within a couple weeks. It was just so weird because I thought I had seen this movie from start to finish, but I had just, as an usher and just working at the theater, I used to walk in on this movie all the time and seeing the same bits and pieces over and over again, I realized I hadn't really watched this movie from start to finish at all. And I had a completely different memory of this film. Watching it last night, uh, back to back with Hellraiser Bloodline. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you made some choices for yesterday. You know, it was the most interesting double feature. There were a couple scenes that were kind of similar. We'll get into that in a little bit, but it was weird to see. Um, I just, I actually was dreading watching this movie. And I actually, it's look, it's not a great movie, but I had fun watching it last night just because it's such a product of its time. And there's no way that this movie would get made today unless it was a completely independent production. And I don't know. Some of the some of the dialogue is pretty funny. Um, not of it, not all of it has aged well, but it still made me laugh. And I just be, knowing that this movie was made twenty five years ago and it was not made yesterday, I I kind of felt better about laughing at some of the <laughs> stuff in it. Um, but this does not paint women in a very flattering light at all. Not any character whatsoever. I don't know what you thought about it. No, I uh, agreed. <clears throat> Although. If we are being, um, if, if we do want to be fair, I don't think the film paints anyone in a particularly uh, <laughs> flattering. I, I think everyone in this film uh, comes across uh, t- terribly. Um, <laughs> and I don't know. There were just a couple things. I, I looked up a couple things about the film because um, there was, it was definitely sort of a, how did, how did we wind up here? 
what was one of the things I sort of asked because uh, again, Tales from the Crypt is a very clever show in in, in many ways, um, and it does have a lot of spectacle. Uh, the thing that really struck me about Bordeaux of Blood is that everyone is making puns and quipping all the time, <laughs> like consistent. I mean, I expected it from Dennis Miller and. Uh, I would be so curious what this film would have looked like had they not cast Dennis Miller and then obviously just kind of let him do his do what he wanted. Because I don't know how that character is written, but it seems like, I don't know, I'd be curious to see the script because I'm, I would wonder what that actual uh, detective character is built around. Because in the film, it's very much, oh, yeah, we have Dennis Miller and he's a detective. Pretty much. It's just detective. detective Dennis Miller. I mean, this movie should have been called Bordello of Douchebags because mm-hmm. every character in this movie is unlikable in some way. And look, I'm not one of the people that I, I I'm not one of those people that has to have a relatable character or like a likable character for me to feel good about watching a movie. I don't mind watching movies about scumbags doing scummy things to other scumbags, but there is a level of douchebaggery in this film <laughs> where I was just like, wow. Like so we're doing this, are we? Okay. Um, and yeah, it's the Dennis Miller 80-minute stand-up special where I, I read somewhere he just kept ad-libbing lines and the director was like, stop it. <laughs> stop doing that. And he just didn't, he refused to. So they said it was impossible to edit because he would want to shoot his stuff. He want to shoot out. So he would want to shoot his stuff first and then leave for the day. So oh, the uh, so the other actors had had the script supervisor to act off of because Dennis was gone for the day and did not give them the same respect. And so it was impossible to cut things together because every take he'd do something different and would not read from the script at all. So the director, he seemed to be very frustrated. This is a first time film for him, too. So I can only imagine the frustration where he would just start yelling at Dennis Miller on set and Dennis Miller would just laugh at him because he didn't care. <laughs> so yeah. I think it may have, and I, I, I might be wrong here. I think it also may have been a last, uh, a last film for him in terms of a directing, I believe. I think it probably is. I think Let you're right. See. He's done a lot of producing. Yeah, no, this is his only directing credit. Um, and that's, that's too bad because I, again, I think the film, I think the film looks fine. I think there's a lot of technical things that are uh, done well. And I think there's some uh, moments that are interesting uh, about the film, Um, including the fact that the story came uh, from Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis, uh, which which was a surprise. That was so weird to see that in the credits. (laughs) Wait a minute. Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis. The last people I would think of for this movie. But yeah, they apparently had the script called Bordello of Blood that had been around since the 70s. And there's even a reference in another movie from theirs called a poster or something that says Bordello of Blood in it to prove that it's been around forever. I forget what movie it was. It was Back to the Future. Something like there's a reference to Bordello of Blood as a script. They've been trying to get this movie made for decades. And I guess they finally were able to bring it in as part of the Tales from the Crypt. I don't know how that worked out, but uh, John Milius, I believe, had read uh, Tales from the Crypt and I mean, uh, Bordello of Blood and another screenplay and had really liked it and helped them kind of get into Hollywood a little bit, but uh, ended up not getting made for about 20 years, 25 years. And 
this is this is what it ended up as and I, I agree with what you said i would love to see the original screenplay because i'm 100 percent sure that 90 percent of the dialogue in that screenplay was not uttered by dennis miller <laughs> oh, i a hundred percent agree i mean there's definitely yeah there's definitely a screenplay out there that i bet is probably really solid or at least interesting and engaging in ways that this film um Take some turns, take some weird turns. I will also say the degree of self-referential winkiness that this film takes is wild. There's a character with a Crypt Keeper tattoo. There is a movie poster for Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight mm-hmm. literally on a wall of a character's bedroom. And at one point, a character, Dennis Miller, I think, makes some joke about this feeling like an episode of Tales from the Crypt. So, yes. so it's like... These characters are aware that Tales from the Crypt is a thing in their world, but they're in a Tales from the Crypt movie. And it's also being bookended by the Crypt Keeper. Mm -hmm. And there's also an opening to the film that's actually pretty gonzo. I'm like, how how meta are they going with this? Like, was that, were they planning on going meta? Like, what is the commentary here? Or they thought it would be funny to just throw in a couple breaking the fourth wall jokes. It's usually the latter, but it kind of makes you think like some was somebody trying to go for like a super meta, like, Oh, I'm watching you watching me watching you kind of thing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. I'm so curious how much of it was intended from the, from like the ground up or it just kind of turned that way. Um, but I will say the, one of the things I enjoyed the most was the, the cameo from Demon Knight's star William Sadler as the unfortunate kind of like windbag mummy that happens to be friends with the Crypt Keeper. Um, yeah, that was a great little cameo. He's got kind of like the James Mason accent. And yeah. uh, I, that that was a scream because at first I was like, oh, is that? Oh, that is William Sadler. Like that's people forget that he did a lot of makeup heavy kind of goofy stuff like with Bill and Ted. Yeah. Bill and Ted's bogus journey and this movie. I mean, he can play a straight man or he can do comedy very well. A very underrated actor. Yeah. Yeah. He um, I'm always I'm always pleased when he shows up in things because I know he's always going to bring, you know, a lot to to the table. Um, I was always pleasantly surprised with um, it's a very not tremendously seen it only went for i think one season uh but there was a i think on fox it was a um very odd comedy uh, kind of romantic comedy serialized show called wonderfalls it was a it was a brian fuller show so it of course was going to get canceled quickly and was of course just very bizarre um and takes some strange dark turns but he just plays this very like amiable uh, doctor father of the uh, of the protagonist and like that reminded me when I saw him that I was like oh he can do light things and he he doesn't have to be you know always this kind of intense character that we we run into uh, often with him but um, but yeah I appreciated him being you know kind of sillier being allowed to be sillier here and then I also appreciate Demon Knight where he gets um, you know top he gets to be, play the lead which I don't see him in you know too often especially not in genre fair um like this but i think i mean how do you i I know this movie bombed and you were in you know kind of working in theaters at the time when this came out do you think i I mean i think i know the answer to this but how much of the abject failure of this film other than the fact that it's weird and 
bizarre in so many different, and it makes choices that are so, so bizarre and strange, including the cross laser that I, I, I don't even know how that, how anyone looked at that and went, yep, no one's going to guess this is a deus ex machina coming up later on. Um, <laughs> but I mean, obviously I think a little of the wind got knocked out of the sails by the fact that this followed on the heels of from dusk till dawn. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. You know, following on Demon Knight and From Dust Till Dawn, this movie had a lot of things going against it. And since it was the second in a planned trilogy of feature films of Tales from the Crypt Presents, there's a lot riding on it. And I'm kind of baffled. I mean, because look, look uh, Demon Knight was directed by Ernest Dickerson, who is an extremely talented director and and has done so many films and TV shows. Um just so accomplished and so that's probably part of the reason why that movie is so good and then they hire this guy who's really never done anything it makes you wonder like if they were already kind of done with the tales from the crypt movies at this point because it's like a it's an it's a it's an old recycled script from bob gale and bob zemeckis kind of shoehorned into a tales from the crypt movie weird casting there's some there's some knowing casting there's some you know you got Corey Feldman from the Lost Boys is in this. Chris Sarandon from Fright Night is in this. So there's definitely a wink and a nod with some of the casting. But then again, some of the other casting, it's like Angie Everhart. It was Sylvester Stallone's girlfriend. And he basically was like uh, telling the producers, you should just cast her. You know, and that was how she got casted. And I think she's good in the movie. I think she's one of the few bright spots in the movie. She's really chewing into the scenery. But at the same time, it's just like, oh, that's how it's done, huh? You just uh, tell somebody to cast your girlfriend. <laughs> and then <laughs> we're off to the races. Because I believe she was a model at the time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. There's just It seems like half of this movie wanted to be, do good. And the other half was just like, ah, fuck it. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. So I just don't know. It's a weird film. Uh, and, and that's a good point about From Dust Till Dawn. They had already done this movie. Um, you know, when I was watching this movie, I'm like, I've, I've seen this movie. It's From Dust Till Dawn. You know, it's not it's not the bordello. It's, you know, the titty twister. It's 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 a it's a mausoleum, you know, and, and, a, and a whorehouse or whatever. It's just nothing about this movie was like, oh, there's a cool scene. Yeah. Or, or there's, I mean, look, the gore effects in this movie are a lot of fun and they kind of go for it. Some of the CG gore effects, not so much, but like the practical effects, especially in the opening of the film, there's a lot of, they were a lot of fun. Um, but just, yeah, it just felt, it felt tired. Like some, like they were dragging mm -hmm. out a stand-up comedian doing his act from 40 years ago. And it was just like, Hey, and it kind of feels like a dated story because the script is so old. Yeah. People think nobody's going to notice. Oh, the screenplay is from the seventies. Yeah, we kind of noticed. You know, yeah. what would this what would this have been like if they had cast instead of Dennis Miller? They had cast. Oh gosh, I'm trying to go back to the way back machine. Who is, who was like a regular leading man back then? You've got like well, George Clooney wasn't really big back then. Um, he was just starting. So I'd say like, uh, like, a, well, Mel Gibson was probably too big of a star for this movie. Like who would, who would have been who like Dennis Leary? Like, uh, you know, you're just trading one for one Dennis for the other. Would he have been better? 
I think I would suspect that Dennis Leary would have at least embodied a character. Yeah. As opposed to just kind of really just being, hey, I'm Dennis Miller. And there's some trappings of this like kind of sleazy detective that he's supposed to be. But at the end of the day, he, he's Dennis Miller. And he's trying exactly as hard as you would expect Dennis Miller to, to, <laughs> to, to, to try. Not I, at I, all. I would, I would think. Yeah, it's like he's not trying to embody this guy. He's just, you know, kind of doing his, like you said, he's doing his bits, doing his shtick. Mm-hmm. And around him is a vampire movie that is varying levels of, I mean, it's very campy. It, it's not really taking itself too seriously. Absolutely. Um, I mean, case in point, we cast Chris Sarandon as a, 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 a preacher who's murdering vampires. I mean, this is only, <laughs> this is, uh, again, I'm fuzzing on the exact years, but probably about 10 years after um, Fright Night yeah. uh, or so. So, I mean, that's a that's a fun piece of casting. And, and he has a good time with, with the film um i agree uh, angie everhart's trying and and i think do i think understands the kind of role that she is being asked to play um with the, with this sort of like again very pun heavy um honestly there were parts that very much felt like uh kind of roger moore-esque bond where it's just like i'm gonna murder someone and now i'm gonna make a silly pun about it or like that latter <laughs> area like schwarzenegger where yeah. he's you know not really uh as in as intense as he is in well i was going to pull raw deal out but raw deal is a movie that just gets more and more absurd with every passing moment uh that i have great fondness for but that's a different era and a different movie (laughs) i also have great fondness for that movie but if you stop to think about the setup you're just like oh it's insane what it's completely (laughs) it is insane he is a small town sheriff uh, no, it is a movie. It is one of many, many movies that never acknowledges the fact that uh, he is clearly Austrian. Yeah. And uh, he fakes his own death. He um, <laughs> goes to these absurd machinations uh, to infiltrate the mob. It has scenes that are so far outside of uh, reality that it, they're almost cartoonish. Uh, it does have a great chase scene around Navy Pier in Chicago before they gentrified it and turned it into a uh, mm-hmm. tourist attraction. And yeah. I do love it for that. Um, plus, you got Robert Davi as like straight up, like, I am just going to be a villain in this movie. Uh, and <laughs> it is, of course, uh, a, a delight. But um, yeah, I mean, I, even like putting someone who is a little more action y in this role, I think would have. Um, or even someone like, you know, William Sadler, you know, someone who could bring, I don't know, some kind of weight to this, like, um, you know, put upon on his last dime detective. Um, but there's no sense of urgency or desperation from Dennis Miller's uh, no. detective in this film. He just he, sort of ambles from scene to scene. <laughs> shit just kind of happens. He's like, he goes to the bar to find out where the guy was. And then, you know, he just, the other, the vampire that is the kind of, the guy that's being turned into a vampire is kind of like the gopher for the the female vampires to bring people back to the bordello. Oh, the, oh, the do you want the greatest sex of your life guy? Yes, who yeah, is, yeah. There's a couple people in this movie who are acting, like there's people who are acting and then there are people who are, you know, I mean, you have Dennis Miller who's barely, he's saying his lines mm-hmm. and, and that's about all I, I'm uh, acknowledging um you have people who are trying and then you have that guy who i am like i don't know what they told him 
in terms of how to deliver <laughs> his dialogue, but he is, I mean, I get that he's supposed to be kind, he's supposed to be crazy, he's supposed to be like willfully off-putting, but I just don't know how anyone, like how is he a good Somebody like, must have thought. Somebody must have thought it Bordello. was. It was a funny gag or something. There's got to be somebody on that movie that thought that his performance was oh, funny. And it's bizarre, but I just don't know, like, why within like the context of the, like why Lilith goes, yeah, this guy, this guy's going to bring people in. This is the guy who's going to bring people into uh, our secret bordello because, as far as I can tell, at least from the context of the film, there is no advertising. No. It is a secret password system that you have to say you're here for the cunning. Is it, it's, yeah, it's the Cunningham way. Yep. Um, and it seems to be just word of mouth from this incredibly uh, upsetting dude who accosts people in bars. Like, it's <laughs> like he's just waiting for those four, the four bros to suddenly be like, you know, I, I could really use, I could really use some sex right now. And he just like pops up out of nowhere and it's just like, yeah. And you're like, what is like, I am surprised the bar doesn't just like go, oh, we need to throw this guy out. Like he it, is accosting our patrons. There's, yeah, movie. there's no discretion on his part whatsoever. You would think that, you know, there would be a guy who's like, hey, guys, come over here. You know, I know this place. You go get some tail. But no, it's like, do you want to get laid? And right, like, right. like, like an animal, like a wild animal, like with Tourette syndrome. And yeah. I just, I don't know. I've read somewhere. I forget where it was where they interviewed him or he just said something where like he, he took his performance from his cats, I think like a, like a feral cat. So that, that. so that's kind of like the inspiration he took for that, that character. I'm like, it's such a choice that you kind of have to applaud it, even though it's probably the wrong choice. (laughs) He is, he's committing to that uh, role. And I, you know, as someone who, I, you know, I've seen a lot of vampire movies. I've seen varying levels of uh, mania when someone is being transformed into a vampire. You know, on one hand, you've got, you know, basically just like wake up. It's like, hey, I'm a vampire. Okay, cool. Sounds good. On the other end, you've got, you know, Nicolas Cage in um, one of his probably more infamous performances. Um, and then, yeah, somewhere near the Nicolas Cage guy, uh, side, you've got this guy who, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really understand the business model of the Bordello. I guess um, they, they Lilith makes this like light mention of the fact that they sell the cars um, to make money. Yeah. But otherwise, I, I mean, does anyone ever leave the Bordello? Cause it, it would seem like it's not good business if people just keep going in and never come out. I mean, I, yeah, I get that they're, they need to feed. So this is their scheme to, to drink blood because they got to live, you know, they got to, they got to unlive somehow. So I get that. But they've got a weird, like, weird butler. I don't know what his accent was supposed to be. <laughs> like, it was from straight out of a cartoon. Like, I just, like, all these choices for these characters, I feel like, I don't know if it was the producer or the director thought these would these would be funny. And they're just, they're weird. And, and not in the right kind of weird, like, gloriously weird. It's just this this butler guy at the door who answers the password, he's disheveled. He's got like Richard O'Brien hair from mm-hmm. the Rocky Horror Picture Show, but he's got this weird put upon accent that almost sounds like he's pretending to be British. And he's the one that shepherds people into the, the casket and leads them to pr- the, the fake cremation that leads them into the parlor where all the women are, all the vampires are. That and- whole sequence 
like including his accent feels like something out of um, nothing but trouble. Yeah. You know what? Wow. Good point. Like the whole like, oh, there's a wacky trap doors and everything looks gross. And this guy's going to be incredibly upset. I mean, we get a good I it felt like it was much longer. But this the whole scene where he's just like uh, performing an autopsy and smelling the gases and taking such pleasure in smelling the gases from like rotting oh, bodies. Yeah. What was and that? I'm like, this is unpleasant. Like I get that this is like, I guess I'm watching a, <clears throat> a horror comedy, but this is just gross. Like I've, my tolerance is pretty high, but that just came so far out of left field because this is not a movie that's been gross. In fact, it's almost been kind of sedate with its uh, sedate's not the right word, but it's been very, um, withholding on like a lot of gore or a lot of, well, I mean, we did push, push a guy's heart out of his chest, but mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of puns involved. So it, it was very winky, but yeah, like then there's just a scene of just like, by all accounts, a normal, but incredibly off-putting human being being like, yeah, I really like these dead women. And you're like, what? No, ah, no, thank you. That, that whole character of the gopher was very strange because I guess Lilith or one of the vampires had bitten him and promised to turn him as long as he kept bringing them people, which I got. They didn't really explain it, but it was like a line of dialogue later. Mm. So then he's he seems like he's pretty into bringing these people because he's weird. And then all of a sudden there's a scene where he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And it hurts or whatever. I'm like, that's out of left field. This is just the way to get rid of this character. And then she kills him. But there's no like, there's no buildup. You don't even need that much buildup to get rid of a character. But it's just like things happen. Like Dennis Miller shows up to the bar. He's like, oh, okay, let's go to the house. Dennis Miller goes back and forth to the house like three times in the movie. Like no problem. Like nonchalantly. Like there's this den of vampires, but he's able to come and go freely like three times. Like I, I, I thought I remembered this film where he gets to the house one time and then that's it. Yeah. But but no, he like goes to the house. He checks it out. He he leaves. He comes back again and checks it out again and then leaves again. And then he comes back with Chris Sarandon. And then that's where they kill all the vampires. I'm just like, this is really not a scary vampire nest at all. Like, no, he's, he's got like carte blanche. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I forgot about the part where they mentioned that he has apparently the tastiest blood type. Um, yeah, that was which a, is their a weird. weird justification to not just immediately blow him up or kill him or something. It's like, oh, we have to keep him alive because his blood's delicious. And it's like, oh, Okay, well then capture him. You clearly yeah. could. This guy's an idiot. Um, I'm going to hypothesize. I'm going to hypothesize something, and um, this is my this is my thought. Does this automatically become a better movie? And I think I don't. If you just remove his character, like what does he bring to the table? Because his because det- my thought is his detecting abilities are he initially goes to friends of. Oh, I forget her name. Um, our, our other protagonist. Um, her. Oh well, yeah, Erica Elenayak. Uh, yeah, but he gets the names of the brothers' friends from her. So presumably, she could have at some point talked to her brothers' friends. She knows who they are, um, and said, "Where is my brother? Where did he go?" And performed the same level of detective work that Dennis Miller does because he does functionally nothing he wanders into the uh funeral place uh mortuary i guess um and finds the nose ring by doing the barest minimum of hiding (laughs) um 
And then like, I, I guess I just don't know why he, he, he matters. No, at all. Like there's no detective work done at all. He's a private detective. He's charging her by the day, but he, all he does is hit on her in gross ways. And, is just doing his stand-up. I bet he read the screenplay and was like, "Well, this sucks. I'm just gonna do my my bits on vampires and private detectiving for 80 minutes, and that'll be my set." So this is basically a Dennis Miller set for 80 minutes, and I I, I just I don't think he respected the material. I think he just because he was doing the Dennis Miller show at the same time, and he was like, "That takes priority." So this is this is whenever I can get to it. And that's why he would leave early so he could go do the Dennis Miller show, which is another artifact of the 90s, if you yeah. can believe it. Like, just weird how he had his own talk show. Um, but, you know, he did have a couple lines that made me laugh. I didn't write them down, but I do remember <laughs> chuckling at a couple things he said. So he did hit a couple times, but it just was so much. It's like when you watch those, and I love Robin Williams, but you watch like a Robin Williams interview and he's always on. He just never mm -hmm. stops. He's going, 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 going. And after a while, you're like, all right, dude, can you just like, just take it down just a little bit? We get it. You're funny. You're very funny. But let's have a conversation. <laughs> and Dennis Miller is kind of the same way. He's just doing his, you know, his shtick for the whole time. And if I were the director, I would have been like, all right, look, dude. I am literally going to get in a car and run you over if you, if you don't knock it off and read the lines like they are in the screenplay. So I don't know. It, it, it's just a weird movie. It's it's not something I would recommend <laughs> anyone watch. But if you're going to watch it, I mean, you won't be bored for sure. It's not a boring film whatsoever. No, it, no, absolutely. Absolutely not. It is a very... Um, it is, a, as you said, it's a very singular artifact of this era. It, and I think that's, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I agree. I don't know that I could necessarily recommend it to people, but at the same time, if you were to watch it, it is not going to, um, it's not going to bore you. It's no, not it, bore you. it moves fast. If you take out the cutaways with the Crypt Keeper and William Sadler and the opening and the credits, it's literally barely 70 minutes long. <laughs> yeah so i mean this thing moves very quickly and you know like i said chris sarandon's having fun i mean you can tell that some of these people are having fun but from what i've read everybody was at odds with dennis miller he was the problem on the set and he was just butting heads with people he was just acting like a diva like he was better than the material which is funny considering now dennis miller's career um, mm -hmm. you know, he was another product of the nineties. He was big in the nineties, like the late eighties into like the mid late nineties. And then that was pretty much it for Dennis Miller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, it was a very, um, very kind of a flash in the pan, um, thing, um, which I don't think he's alone in the nineties. I, I think there's other, uh, people and entities that have, uh, similar gone similar ways of being, big and somewhat popular and then just sort of disappearing as time has uh, time has gone on but i think in some ways this film is um this film is a fun artifact because i, I agree with you uh when you noted earlier it's like oh no one would make this film today like this was a make you this was a major studio putting this movie into theaters not a couple theaters like most theaters this movie was released wide in the summer of 1996 across the country 
This was not a limited release where you could yeah. only go to like New York or LA. This was everywhere during a time when everybody knew about Tales from the Crypt and people chose not to go see it. I bet you people saw that and so it was like, this looks like from dust till dawn. I'm not going to go see this. Like, well, it looks also cheaper than from dust till dawn. Cause I will say this movie, it does feel, it doesn't really feel super theatrical to me, you know, like, you have these huge set pieces in From Dust Till Dawn and um, amazing effects. And again, as, as you noted, that, like the practical effects in this movie are not bad. Uh, they're fun that you get some really, especially early on when Lilith is like rising from the grave, you get some fun uh, practical gore effects. And when we get our big finale uh, vampire murder scene, you get some just straight up, ah, let's just blow up that uh blow up that dummy filled with blood yeah sure why not yeah. um kinds of effects which are fine they're they're never they're, you're never going to go wrong there that, I, that's always going to be a good time but there's i don't know just maybe the way the sets are maybe the way like it's filmed but it feels very especially compared to like demon knight which feels like such an escalation and a step up from the tales from the crypt show whereas this I mean, I'll be honest, I've seen episodes of Tales from the Crypt, the show on HBO that is shot in four by three that feel eerier and um, almost seem to have some even nicer production value than this movie does. I, I agree with you 100 percent. The uh, the choices made in this movie, the the twists of the plot or the plot turns, it, it just like, OK, so they're they ramping up to the finale Chris Sarandon and Dennis Miller have broken into the the parlor where all the uh vampire women of the night are there they've got he's got he's got stakes in his jacket mm -hmm. like a flasher and Dennis Miller has got super soakers with holy water and you're like oh cool this is that scene I remember walking in on all the time in the theater then they unleash and they start shooting all of the vampire women with holy water I felt bad for the vampires. I really did not. It felt mean spirited to me. Um, I just didn't. It, and, it, and a scene that's supposed to make you go, oh, yeah, you know, they're taking care of business. I was just like, well, I mean, yes, the vampire women were killing dudes, but they were just killing a bunch of obnoxious horn dogs that couldn't read the signs that this was a creepy place. So are they really killing? Uh, people, you know, of note, not really, <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah, it's not a, it's not a really like great, like, you know, there's, there's films, like there's so many films where, you know, I'm okay, we're going into the vampire's den and we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to kick some ass and it's going to be triumphant. You know, you have Fright Night, you even have the remake of Fright Night, um, you know, where these things like you hit those notes where and I think a lot of it has to do with having protagonists that are not pieces of shit. Yeah, because <laughs> Dennis, you know, if you're telling me, hey, do you want to see Dennis Miller and a um, morally ambiguous preacher gunning down women in a bordello as the climate as the triumphant climax of a movie? I mean, I'm not going to, without interjecting the vampire part, you go, well, Jesus, no. Wow. Oh, no. That sounds, no one wants to see that. It's like, well, they're vampires. Like, I don't know. I still don't feel good about it. No, agreed. Like, they lay on um, um, ballroom blitz to try to make it lighter. But at the end of the day, it's, 
two dudes kicking down the door, just like laying waste to um, the, the vampire women who are just, you know, just mind their business. Just they're, doing, just doing they're, what they're do. literally minding their own business. And they, yeah. yeah, they, it's not like they're slaughtering a bunch of people, like, and then they bust in on them. They're literally milling about. Like, yeah. it's the very definition of milling about. Yeah. And they, they bust did in not and they just kill out. everybody. Yeah, and they didn't, they themselves presumably were not, like, we saw the group that kidnapped, um, again, the woman whose name I cannot recall because I'm terrible. I don't remember any characters' names really in this movie. Uh, Lilith and, yep, that's about it. Um, <laughs> the Crypt Keeper, like, I, that's as much as I retained from this film that I watched yesterday. But they, um, it was sketchy, like, butler guy and her brother and the, the 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 smaller guy and that is the people who are doing the kidnapping yeah i don't know it's yeah no i agree with you it, it's not a great feeling you don't you're not like pumping your fist in the air being like yeah um no. the way and again i think that's what they wanted you don't get there yeah it's just it it doesn't get there and dennis miller is so disinterested with his actual task in the movie like there's he 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 doesn't care about his goal. All he wants to do is sleep with his client. That's pretty much I mean it's underscored throughout the whole film. There's a whole scene where Angie Everhart shows up and tries to seduce him and she, he's not into her because he wants to bang his clients. <laughs> like that's the whole crux of the film. That's all he cares about in this yeah. movie is sleeping with the woman who hired him. And that was it. Like that's the end goal for him. Not to find her brother, not to root out this nest of vampires or kill this queen vampire or any of that. All of that is inconsequential to the fact yeah. that he is attracted to his client and wants to nail her. That's it. That's the movie. Yeah, I mean for everyone's arcs, that is his arc. The pre, the Reverend's arc is so I'm going to pay a bunch of money to bring back a vampire queen who's going to, I guess, murder people of ill repute in my town. And that's somehow going to be a positive thing. Again, unclear how that's going to like lead to anything other than I guess there's fewer people to uh, fill your pews, uh, buddy. Um <laughs> I, I her goal is presumably just to keep drinking blood, which you know, understandable. Um, we have a police chief who is a combination of just in the way and also weird comic relief. Um, yeah, there's a scene where he's eating a can of beef stew out of the can with like a little bib, like he's a baby. Yeah, and well, I don't know, it they, was strange. Did they mention where this takes place? Ah. Uh, no because here's the thing that's weird when they at all the scenes with like the police chief it's like oh this is like small town america but then you know we've got a mega church and we've got you know where dennis miller's office quote unquote is which is an abandoned movie theater uh which bums me out but it's like um like, is that supposed to be a nod to the most terrible time of my life? I, I highly doubt it. I highly doubt that anyone in this film saw, you know, or is familiar with, uh, you know, Japanese detective new wave, but, um, <laughs> which is again, a, a, another uh, kind of better movie, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it just, no one's motivations make sense. I mean, yeah, I guess Dennis Miller's makes sense. It's just silly. It's just absurd. Cause it's like, man, I sure would like to have sex with my client. 
I guess I should find her brother, which turns out was easy. Like I just walked down the street, talked to one guy, went to another place, found a secret murder conspiracy and uh, vampires. Like, I don't know. It's, it's almost like a Scooby-Doo mystery in that like anyone could have uncovered this. Yeah, there's no nuance to the plot whatsoever. There's no going back to rewrite. All right, I got to gotta do the setup and this payoff. A little bit of symbolism here, a little bit of symbolism there. There's none of that in this movie. It's just point A to point B to point C to point fuck it. It's just, this is what we're doing. This yeah. is the cast we have. We're going to do vampires and shit. Just, are you along for the ride or not? There's no, there's no callbacks. There's no... There's no nothing. There's no artistry to the storytelling. It's just, let's go to this vampire bordello and that's it. That's literally the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really makes me wonder. I'm so curious. I, again, I really want to know what that original script looked like. Um, and I'm wondering if, if I'm, I'm curious if From Dust Till Dawn, which I know was a script floating around at the same time, um, influenced what they could or couldn't do with this film. Because they had, they had to not they couldn't not know that it was happening. Um, Cause I know I thought I read somewhere that a couple of the scripts that they'd looked at for potential tales from the crypt movies were potentially at one point from dusk till dawn. And also apparently Peter Jackson's the frighteners. Oh yeah. yeah um, I heard about both that. of whom would be more tonally on brand than this movie <laughs> turned out to be. Um, but again, I don't know if, if other people had made those movies, God knows what those would have turned into. Um, but yeah, I'm wondering if like the knowledge that another studio was making from dusk till dawn made someone go in there into this script and be like, okay, guys, we can't do this, this, or this, or it's going to be seen as derivative. So you know what? I'm probably overthinking it. I think they, they just, this, this was very much just thrown together. I feel like, I feel like a lot of things had to change because, oh shoot, we had to hire Dennis Miller okay, that's going to cause this, this, and this. And from what you've described as that being um, not necessarily the easiest set to, to live with, um, that is, uh, I think, a, a number of things probably changed because of that choice. I wonder, because From Dust Till Dawn came out in January of 96, and this came out in August, in like the dog days of summer. So... It makes me wonder, were they like in post when From Dust Till Dawn came out? I mean, they had to be aware of it before then, but maybe they saw it come out and they're like, wow, that really looks similar to our film. But if you look back in the 90s, they did that all oh, the time. Yeah. All the time. There was Ants and a Bug's Life came out in the same year. Armageddon and Deep Impact came out in the same year. Um, Dante's Peak and Volcano came out within a year of each other, uh, 97 and 98, I believe. Or maybe it was in '97, but they, Hollywood did that all the time. So it yeah. kind of like there's a there's a gut instinct inside me that says like they knew and they just probably didn't care. <laughs> you know, it's like we're gonna get our vampire film out there too. It's Tales from the Crypt. People will love it. But I don't remember Demon Knight doing very well either, even though it's much more well respected. I don't think it made a ton of money at the back, box office either. I, I don't think it did, and I think honestly that probably, I think more maybe more than anything else that may have spelled some things for this film because what demon knight at the time when it came out i don't think it had a hugely bankable lead um no. and william sadler's great and is well recognized and there's a bunch of really solid uh people acting in that movie 
but there's no one whose name would be, you know, above the title. Uh, Tim, um, Tim, Billy Zane, Billy Zane. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Never mind. He I is forgot. the box, the <laughs> box office is. Titan known as Billy Zane. I mean, he was in the Phantom in 1996. Oof, which I, I did see in a theater and it was myself, <laughs> my friend and a man who was sleeping two rows behind us. And, <laughs> and, I he uh you know what I have not revisited that movie since I saw it. I would be curious what that looks like today. You uh you had two more people in your screening of that movie than I did at Double Dragon when I went to go see it <laughs> at the mall theater. My mom dropped me off to go see that movie at the mall theater, which is now defunct. Um, and there was literally nobody in that screening. And I remember because I was a huge like Nintendo Double Dragon fan, watching it and going, oh, I let my mo- I can't leave. My mom dropped my mom dropped me off. <laughs> I-, I can't leave if I wanted to. I guess I could go to the arcade, but she's going to be expecting yeah. me here at the theater. Literally, that's what was going through my head when that movie started because it was so bad. It's it's a movie for no one. No, like, I-, I can't imagine who that was for. But I think. But I, I, I think to your point, I think Demon Knight's lack of, you know, huge accolades at the time and huge financial success probably meant that, A, they want, they'd want to try to get, you know, some big names in this. Uh, so they got Dennis Miller. And B, they probably cut the budget. Like the, oh, and they sure. probably tried to, and they probably thought, oh, because the one thing Demon Knight isn't is it's not tremendously funny. No, uh, absolutely not. And I think they thought, oh, maybe that's why people like Tales from the Crypt. Let's skew that way so maybe that you know maybe what happened with demon knight um which again is a better movie um you know it, it's like hollywood sometimes does they will learn the wrong lessons and just kind of overcorrect. they they steer too hard to the left um if necessary or steer too hard to the right it's like oh we got to get uh, oh oh we got to turn that wheel all the way around it's like no no just just a little nudge no oh we're gonna turn the boat around okay <laughs> sounds good the budget for this film was $13 million. $13 million in 1996. Wow. Where did it go? <laughs> Dennis Miller, probably. I mean... That is that is probably fair. I want to know how much he got paid because... Okay, so the budget is $13 million. I don't know what it was like back then, but today, if you have a $150 million movie, you double that, and that's how much your movie really costs because then you... Mm-hmm. You're taking into account advertising and marketing and prints and all that stuff. Um, so this movie could have cost at least $25 million when you add in advertising and, and yeah. promotions and all that. So opening weekend, it made $2.6 million. Oof. That's literally like nobody went to the movie. I remember distinctly. Yeah. It was like handfuls of people. It, like Friday night... I was like, I was a super nerd for like finding out like who's in what theater, how many people are in this theater. I would always look at, I would go into where the box office uh, people were working and I'd look and see who's, you know, who's in, you know, whatever, who's in Broken Arrow. How many people are in Broken Arrow? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's, there's 78 people in Broken Arrow. That's awesome. That's cool. I remember looking at the numbers for for Bordello of Blood and it was literally like on a Friday night, the opening weekend. I remember it's like, two three for like the nine o'clock show and it was like like the seven o'clock show maybe 10 people and i was like oh my god like you could tell like just that was the advantage of working in a movie theater you can tell 
if a movie is going to be a bomb without waiting for Monday because you knew. Like, even in, like, suburban America, there's only two people going to a Friday night show on opening weekend. This movie is not yeah. making anything. It was embarrassing. And I was not even oh. rela- related to the film. <laughs> oh, and and 100%. Like, this was... I mean, I, I know the mid-90s are a... Um, there are there are there are favorite horror films in this era but there's also you know it, it wasn't really the same boom that we were having you know a few years earlier and then we eventually you know kind of got back to um although they, i don't know there's there's good stuff in there but yeah i don't know like i the rewatching this movie i think the biggest question for me is uh, really kind of the same it's like who was this for was it was this even for those like three or four people who were seeing, you know, pat, you know, quote unquote packing each of those, uh, each of those theaters. I mean, I guess it's like, was it for Dennis Miller fans? Cause they were probably disappointed that they, you know, there's all this vampire stuff. Was it for vampire fans? I mean, a little disappointing. There's a couple cool, there are some pra- cool practical effects, uh, gore scenes, but, um, I don't know, not, not enough. It, it, it's like, Oh, we're just going to spend most of our time on that big old massacre. Yeah. Yeah, I can only think of, like, there's two, like, I don't even think this is a Venn diagram. I think there's two categories of people that would be interested in this film. And I don't know if they have, I mean, if they haven't already seen it, then they don't know about it. Like, if you're a Dennis Miller fan, or you just want to see boobs and blood, there's literally the only two groups. And I don't know if there's a, a crossover for that, like, necessarily. So I don't know who, yeah, exactly. Who's going to see this movie? Who is... I- who is well, looking for, you know, the 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 comedic stylings of Dennis Miller, but also wants to watch, you know, like a Skinamax movie, basically. Well, and it's also, to be honest, it it's fairly chaste. Like, there's boobs in it. Yeah. But there's not actually, I, if I, I don't think there's a sex scene that actually happens in the movie. There's a lot of innuendo. There's a lot of stuff implied. There's things that are going to happen, but then, oh, <laughs> pun, and then ripping out someone's heart. So yeah. like, it's a it's a very horny movie. Like Dennis Miller as a character is, you know, horny uh, 99% of everything he says out of his mouth um, is vaguely related, like you said, to, to wanting to sleep with his client. Um but yeah, no one. I don't think anyone actually has sex on on camera in this. I, I, I yeah, it's um, it's strange. It very much feels. It feels a little bit like the kind of movie. Like if you told me Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale wrote this when they were in junior high, I would believe you. Well, if I were a thirteen-year-old, if I were a thirteen-year-old kid and I snuck into this movie, I probably would have thought it was the greatest thing ever yeah. made. Because that's who it's probably made for. Even though it's a rated R movie, it's made for 12 and 13-year-old boys who want to see boobies and they want to see people get torn apart, but not too crazy because you don't want to traumatize them. So like, oh, teehee, you know, know, let's have a sleepover because Bordello of Blood is on Showtime. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the target audience. No, 100%. Like, this is... This is the kind of thing that if the audience that I'm sure it has, and I'm sure there's people who love this movie and would defend it. Um, these are people who did not see it in the theater. These are people who grew up and had one of those like late nights where they were flipping through channels, stopped on Showtime and were like, whoa, what is this? This is wild. And um, 
yeah, it probably it possibly shaped their worldview for uh, for good or ill. Um, but yeah, no, that is you're, you're absolutely right. That's the target audience for this movie, whether they knew it or not. That's who they made this movie for. That that for me, that movie was Life Force when I watched it. <laughs> I was like, yes. my friend was telling me about it. this is when I was like, you know, eight or nine. She's naked mm-hmm. through through the whole movie. She is. Oh, okay. I'll watch that, you know. Oh. Uh, but I mean, Life Force is, I think, is a pretty good movie. <laughs> I I enjoy, you know what? I'm going to tell you, I really enjoy the uh, canon era of uh, Toby Hooper's uh, direction. Like, I really enjoy those three movies where canon studios gave him a, a very large sum of money, said, <laughs> you can do whatever you want as long as one of those three movies is a sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And he both gave them exactly what they asked for and in no way what they asked for, which, uh, I mean, I, I love the sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which, um, knowing some of the listening audience, I think on here, someone's going to, uh, glare at me about, but, um, I love that insane movie, but I, I really love those, uh, life force, uh, in, in, uh, invaders from Mars. Oh yeah. Is is that, um, and the effects work in that is amazing. Like the, the puppetry is just beautiful. I saw that, Oh man, I saw that at a Halloween thing at the Adler Planetarium in Chicago and it traumatized me because I definitely should not have been watching that, but it was great. Um, <laughs> it's goopy and weird and upsetting um, and ends questionably. Uh, but yeah, no, I love that. But yeah, Life Force is a, is a delight because it is several movies that, I mean, it just keeps changing gears and it is unapologetic about how quickly it just it's like oh yeah it's apocalypse now and you're like what 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 happened to london like yeah it's, it's pretty bad like this oh, yeah. got out of control real fast enjoy space vampires i love i it, that movie is so bonkers but it takes itself so seriously mm-hmm. that it's 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 kind of genius it really oh, is if you showed absolutely. if you showed that movie to someone who had no concept of what that movie is i would love to hear reactions to that movie because it's just such a product of its time, but it swings for the fences with just how batshit crazy it is. And I've seen it several times. I haven't picked it up on Blu-ray, but that was a staple for me on like HBO. And those were the kind of movies that I would watch would be like Life Force and like, Mm -hmm. you know, class of like 1984 or whatever was it? No, class of 1999. Like Mm -hmm. just those crazy, like rated R movies that you, there's no way you'd see it in a theater and you sneak and watch it at two in the morning or whatever at midnight when your parents are not awake yeah. and you go, wow, look at all this wanton violence. This is kind yeah. of scary. As, as a kid, you're like, this is like forbidden. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, like, like pre-internet, which the nineties definitely were, um, you know, you'd stumble upon something like Bordello Blood or like a VHS or like on, on cable version of Life Force. And it were these movies that were just a little outside of what was normal like it was just a little bit off it was wilder crazier um sexier more violent just just a little bit uh than your normal film and you'd be it would always like it would knock you off your feet and you'd be like what is this movie like absolutely i've never heard of this i mean again pre-internet how would you um but like yeah and i could see i could see someone running into bordello's blood and having that experience uh, especially if they're just you know I'm trying to think of like what the other mate, I mean, again, from, from dusk till dawn does a lot of some of the same things. It's like, Ooh, here's, 
here's some sexy stuff. Here's some gross vampires. Here's some cool effects. Here's some violence. Um, handles it with a bit more panache and a through line that, um, you know, makes makes sense. There's um, there's characters, actual character development in From Dust yeah. Till Dawn. There's there's like you actually know who these people are, whether you like them or not, is another matter entirely. Right. But you 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 know that these are real characters, whereas in Bordello of Blood, everybody is just like, "Hey, vampires, Dennis Miller, boobies." Um, we did that, it. That's it. We did it. We we made a movie. <laughs> we finished a movie, and we got paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like I, I don't want to say anyone's like cashing a paycheck on this, other than probably Dennis Miller. But yeah, there is sort of a sense of when you get to the end of this film, like even the the stinger at the end, where um, okay, I'm just gonna say this: uh, if you are listening to this podcast and you have not seen Bordello of Blood, I'm about to divulge the the surprise air quote this ending um, that you could probably have seen coming. But yeah, the, the ending where you know, she, she turns out to be a vampire in the end and uh, start murders or drinks Dennis Miller's blood or whatever is going on in that scene. It feels so much like a, I guess, yeah, there, we're done. We finished it. It's over. He's yeah. dead now. Great. Good. Thanks. Pat on the back. We're all taken care of. Um, I do feel like there's a part of that that's very much the uh, someone like trying to be like, well, can we, can we do like a Tales from the Crypt kind of ending? Because yeah. that, that is what that felt like. Um, and uh, egregiously unearned, but at the same time, it's not like you care about these, these people cause they're, they're barely characters. Um, and I don't know, it's, it, uh, choices were made. <laughs> Rafe, Rafe Gutman. That's, uh, Dennis Miller's name in the movie. And he, he repeats it 800 times in the movie. So it's yeah. just, like, yeah. okay, we get it. It's a name. It's not a funny name, so it's not like it can't be an in-joke, unless it's an in-joke we're not privy to. Right. So it's not a play on words. It's not a pun. So I just, I don't know. They're it's like, like we're supposed to know. It's like yeah. we're supposed to like recognize it like he's Hercule Poirot or like Sam Spade or, you know, like, like oh, Rafe Gutman. Wow. You know, but no, he's just this, he's, he's a guy who only owns one business card. Yeah, and even in, the cop, the whole world, even the cops don't give a shit about him. They're not like, oh, you can't be on this case, Rafe. You're too close to it. No, yeah. the the sheriff is like, oh, it's you again. Like, who gives a shit? I'm gonna eat my beef stew out of a can. Like, there's no, there's no conflict in this movie whatsoever, other than yeah. vampires are killing people. That's it. There's no the char characters meet, and there's no tension. If there is tension, it's re it's resolved or diffused almost immediately. People just talk to each other. There's not like there's, but not in a realistic way. It's confounding. <laughs> it, it really is. Well, yeah, not, it, it just feels like a series of things that happen. Like it's, it's, a, it really is a series of unfortunate events. And then <laughs> boom, we're done. Um, it is this. Yeah. It, it is a strange artifact. Um, it feels, it feels so contractually obligated. Like it, it really does feel like, well, someone told us we have to make another Tales from the Crypt movie. No one wants to, but here we go. You know, it, it, so much of it has none of the life and excitement and interest. Like Demon Knight feels like someone being like, I can't believe they let us make a movie. I can't believe we have all this money. Oh my God, what can we do? And this just feels like, oh, I, uh, 
I'm not going to let it get let out of film jail until I make a Dennis Miller vaguely sexy uh, vampire <laughs> horror comedy um, that skews a little bit more on the comedy side, I guess. But yeah, it is. Ah, choices were made. It's a. I, I keep saying that, but yeah, there's parts that are just absolutely absolutely confounding uh to me about this uh this particular film that's the, that should be the tagline on this poster is just everybody is in a group shot like in the rap party shrugging and then the tagline is choices were made you know yeah. c- coming soon to a theater near you <laughs> yeah we made a movie i mean again making a movie is no small feat it nope. is a monumental undertaking so much can go wrong so the fact that you have a movie that more or less like I mean, I know there's there there is no conflict in here, but you get from the there's a beginning, middle, and end. It it concludes. So, you know, they successfully made a film. And I will not, you know, I'm not gonna shit on anyone for doing that. But yeah, this is a this is a nonsense film. It is just absolutely um absolutely bizarre. But on the plus side, you know, Nathan, on, on your part, you have some good horror films in 96 that you'll be able to uh you will be able to view again and uh and talk about so i asked mike this when i i I just did hellraiser bloodline with him which (laughs) coincidentally that movie also has a deus ex machina laser mirror thing going on just like in this movie (laughs) where they they kill penhead with like a satellite laser beamed off of a mirror and in this movie they try to kill angie everhart with a jesus laser and i I, you know and i was just like wait a minute i just saw this in in another movie what and it's in the same year too yeah so we we kind of surmised that there that that whole space space tech satellite laser stuff was just all the rage back then so um and you do you look at 90s horror and sci-fi films a lot of it was technophobic centric so mm-hmm. you had like Ghost in the Machine and Brain Scan and, and what the trigger effect and just all kinds of weird sci-fi stuff where they were just mis you know mistrusting of uh, tech with really bad CG effects. Um, yeah. And yeah. what the Lawnmower Man Hideaway. Oh gosh. Like just so much. <laughs> oh gosh, Lawnmower Man. Ah, uh, that is yeah. That's a movie I have not revisited in a while, and um... you shouldn't. You really should. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm happier without. Uh, but yeah, no, definitely the, the, the te- there is this like combination technophobia, and then also like, well, this is going to be, you know, in the case of this movie, Bordello of Blood, and in uh, Hellraiser Four, technology kind of saves the day, um, in, yeah. in, in the, in the various ways um, that they do. But again, I'm never going to turn down a Hellraiser movie. I will always. Uh, watch it, whether it's one of the good ones or one of the uh, less good ones, uh, of which there are quite a few. Also pretty symbolic. These two movies you wouldn't think have a lot in common. Hellraiser 4 was the last theatrical Hellraiser. That was it for Hellraiser for the theaters after that. And this ended this ended the Tales from the Crypt in movie theaters, too. Um, so kind of very poetic in a way that both yeah. these films ended ended staples of the 90s you know in a big like in a mainstream way you know tales from the crypt was like a hugely popular show i remember going to school 
mm-hmm. you know, in the early '90s, in the mid '90s, and talking about Tales from the Crypt and how cool it was. And did you see the episode with Morton Downey Jr. in the Chainsaw House and like just like how crazy that was? Or you know, the episode of William Hickey, which is probably my favorite episode. That was just so well done. Oh, um, the uh, the bodybuilder one. Yes. Oh, yes. That one is. Uh, yeah, that one's a delight. But yeah, you know, you talk about all oh, the latest Friday the 13th movie or or Tales from the Crypt because it was it was not taboo per se, but for for kids in elementary school or middle school, like that was like that was the the good stuff. That was the sweet mm-hmm. spot. That's the stuff that you wanted to get a hold of because you're like, "Oh, adults like this stuff, so it's got to be cool." So, uh yeah, that was Tales from the Crypt at least for me. I love that show so much. Um Oh, it's It's phenomenal. And it was also like kind of HBO really planting that flag hard of, you know, like that and Oz. And um, I know there were a couple other of like that's that era of like the lineup of HBO programming, uh, you know, before they became kind of hyper prestige television that they are now, where they were just doing like kind of taking some big swings on weird on things that were grittier, weirder, stranger than like what the networks were putting out and tales from the crypt running for five solid seasons and also leading to a Saturday morning children's cartoon for three seasons, (laughs) Um, which also weirdly holds up. Uh, It's, it's not, not entertaining. Um, Obviously the resolutions are a little more watered down, but they often don't end well for people. Um, well, that's one of the things I love about capitalism. They will saturate a market and, until there's nothing left. There's ra- there was a Rambo cartoon. There is mm-hmm. a um, there is a Dick Tracy cart. Was there a Dick Tracy cartoon? There was a Dick Tracy cartoon. It's incredibly racist. There, yes. And you, uh, <laughs> I used to. I, there was a class. I used to teach a. a um, I used to teach a, a writing class, and we uh, one of the things that we would talk about is a. a off, uh, novel by an Asian American uh, author, and um, a lot of it is influenced by the racism he encountered growing up as a child. And you know, in order to kind of help my students understand what he was seeing when he was a child, uh, I would show them a couple a couple clips of the the Dick Tracy adventure show. Um, and the, the the initial reaction I would get from people is, "That's a bit." And I'm like, no, 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 that was a, that was a show. And they're like, no, that's like a cartoon bit from like something on Adult Swim. I'm like, no, 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 this this was this was a cartoon for children. Mm-hmm. People watch this, and they're like, no, we don't believe you. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's real, uh, real question. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of like you could just plant that flag and like these are stereotypes. Like, oh my goodness gracious, that is that's overt. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. They will uh, they will milk anything for any dollar that is potentially uh, available there. Can we get, you know, can we turn it into a breakfast cereal? Let's do it. Uh, and the fact that, yeah, Tales from the Crypt, an adult um, show um, based on, I mean, that's kind of coming full circle, though. That is, you know, EC Comics coming out, becoming incredibly popular. Uh, with children and adults, then, you know, Congress stepping in and basically, you know, destroying uh, their ability to, you know, make horror comics. And then years later, the people who, you know, fell in love with those getting together and being like, hey, HBO, let us make a show that becoming a huge success um, to the point where they got to make two movies um, and a uh, a children's cartoon. It's like, 
you know, younger people might not be able to grasp this. It would be like, it would be as if today they were like coming soon to Saturday mornings. It's the John Wick show and it's a cartoon yeah. for kids. And it has, he's, he's shooting people in the, in the cartoon. And it's like, that's how it was in the eighties. It was just like, yeah, they might soften it up a little bit. So he's not actually killing people on screen, but he's an assassin and it's a kid's show. And that's, yeah. that's what it was like in the eighties to have all these rated R movies with toys and cartoons like RoboCop, mm -hmm. RoboCop, nothing about RoboCop screams kid to me whatsoever. It's, you know, it's one of the greatest satires of all time and a great, you know, Jesus allegory, Frankenstein allegory, but kids show like yeah. there's nothing about that, that screams kids, but they had a line of toys. I had them when I was a kid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I had. I had one of them. I can't remember which which of the like action um, RoboCops I had. But yeah, no, I mean, maybe that was it. Maybe someone went, you know what? I bet we can make toys out of this stuff. I don't know. But yeah, nothing about that movie screams, let's make toys. Well, I mean, even look at like Alien. Like I, one of the most popular toys when I was in, oh gosh, I don't remember when, uh, when it was. But whenever, however old I was, when Alien 3 came out. Um, like, I remember some of the toys that came out from that. It's like, ooh, it's the spider alien. There's no spider alien. You just made up a... a, a <laughs> you're just like, oh, hey, kids, you want to play with the spider alien, right? Oh, here's some space marines for you. It's like, who's the market for this? And obviously the market is people who are too young to have watched aliens, who watched aliens and now just want some some dang toys. Um, we can't give these kids actual crack cocaine. So what we're going to do is make them feel like adults with these toys and they're gonna wanna buy them. And that's all you gotta do is market toys to kids. I've got two daughters now and every time we go near the toy aisle, they literally, their brains drop out of their heads. Like they have oh, yeah. to, they have to go in the toy aisle. It's catnip for kids. So I get it. Like wanting to have, you know, all the Rambo toys and the Robocop toys, even if you'd never seen the movie, Alien. Yeah, the Alien was a big one too. It's a toy and I want yeah. it. It's cool. Yeah. It's got aliens and guns. I want it. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool looking toy. Um, I mean, I had I had a ridiculous amount of like real Ghostbusters toys and I, I watched the show, but I definitely had more toys than I think I wound up watching, you know, that that particular cartoon because the toys were super cool. The, um, absolutely. Ghostbusters and Ninja Turtles had like the best toys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm but at least, you know, again, on the plus side. Bordello of Blood did not lead to any really questionable children's toys because I cannot imagine. Like, can you imagine someone being like, man, what do you get for your birthday? I got a Rafe Gutman doll. I get the Bordello of Blood uh, <laughs> horror parlor playset, um, you know, with, you know, real super soaker, holy water action. Watch Angie Everhart burst into flames. Like, it's yeah. like it's all here in this playset from Galoob. <laughs> also, I, I, I do want to ask this. From the plot of the film, why is Corey Feldman alive? Like, why did he get turned into a vampire? His friend obviously got super murdered. So what about, like, there's no explanation well, for why, oh, he's a vampire as opposed to just getting murdered and drained of blood. Like, what makes him, like, there's no through line. It's just, it would be convenient for him to show up again and be a vampire. It was weird because that scene was played a little weird because he's like, I want to ask you about something. 
Like, and because he was a little, he seemed like he was a little hesitant. I'm like, oh, is he a virgin? Like, is that going to be a storyline? Yeah. Because I could have sworn that he was killed and that they find out he's dead. And I realized, oh, I really haven't seen this whole movie all the way through for the first time. So, and he, yeah, when he came back as a vampire, I'm like, this is like out of Paul Rubens, out of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like, what is this? Like, there's no point for him to come back. He doesn't contribute no. to the story at well, all. And also, he's he's not billed as the biggest piece of shit in a movie filled with a lot of pieces of shit. Like he, he doesn't necessarily come across as one of the worst characters. I, again, when he turns into a vampire, he definitely does. Um, and again, there's not really an explanation for why there's that like almost 180 of him turning into this like bizarre horn dog, mildly incestuous, like gross monster version of himself. Who's just like, <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, he, it's it's just he, a such a strange choice to he, to have him even come back. He looked like he was straight out of from Dust Till Dawn. Like maybe yeah. they reshot that, and they're like, "Oh, we got to get you," because he's the only one that's got a creepy face. Like everybody else is just all the girls have just they have fangs, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, except yeah, for Lil, except for Lilith later on, she kind of does her transformation, but everybody else just looks like a regular vampire, and then. Then he's got the from dusk till dawn kind of makeup going on. I'm wondering if they shot that stuff later on. Yeah, I I agree. It's a it because it does have a very television Buffy the Vampire Slayer or from dusk till dawn sort of like oh you're a vampire so we're gonna make you look weird uh, because mm -hmm. yeah everyone else just some fangs yeah you know, they're, they're they're good look I mean it's a good looking set of fangs it's it's not you know cheap looking but just fangs and that's fine. I could just hear a producer going, they gotta look sexy. They gotta yeah. look sexy. <laughs> no weird I'm, faces. I'm legitimately imagining two producers yelling at each other. One and one saying that and the other one being like, but they gotta look like monsters. They're monsters. Come on, <laughs> we gotta do it. And then like, just like, so they're they're like, well, what if we bring Corey Feldman back and and give him like a gross face? And like, oh, okay, can we get Corey Feldman back for like one day of shooting? Yeah, of course. Okay, good. Um, yeah, and I'm I, I'm assuming that is another piece of casting where they went, oh, who can we get who's been in a vampire movie? Oh, Corey Feldman? Great, perfect, good, get him in. Um, yeah. Because that felt like, for the amount of screen time he had, like him and Chris Sarandon both felt like huge winks to the camera. Like, oh, uh, aren't, wouldn't it be fun if these people were in a vampire movie, if this guy turned into a vampire and this guy wasn't? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not like... going to say they were miscast, but it definitely seemed like kind of stunty casting for them. It, yeah, the movie is one big wink and a shrug. That's what it yes. was. It was just yes. like, hey, look at these guys. Look at this stuff. Okay, cool. Okay, good. I, I think that is that is the tagline for for this this movie. Maybe the tagline for this episode: Bordello of Blood, Wink, Shrug. <laughs> that that that's that is I think the best review you can you could you can have for it. It's there's a you know we're winking at you. There's also a little titillation, but not too much. And there's some blood, but not too much. And there's Dennis Miller, and there might be too much of that. Your 12-year-old cousin will love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's very much the, you know what? It's the scene from uh, the end of Back to the Future where um, where Marty's playing the guitar and he gets into like the heavy metal riff and, and he like stops and goes, oh, sorry, that was that was too much for you. But your you're kids, not, you're not ready for love it. You're not ready for that. You're not ready for necromantic. <laughs> oh, oh. What? Wait, did that come out? In that? that, oh gosh, is that on this list? Is that a 96 movie? <laughs> 
No, and, I mean, I would just like as far as like the escalation of gore, like you know, yeah, you don't want to go that far because then you'll just the kid will just be like, I'm never watching movies again. <laughs> oh no, yeah, it's um that will that will throw you off your game. That is that is a I'd say that's a movie, but it's I mean it is it's it's a, it's a movie. I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's a, a film. It's a piece of filmed entertainment. I use that ter- term loosely. <laughs> I, I think you're using the term entertainment loosely. Yes. I, I mean, it is filmed. Um, yeah. But I think that's I think that's 80s. I think. Yeah, it's late 80s, I think. Yeah. Because okay. it feel for me like that and like the kind of like the Japanese guinea pig movies all kind of fit under this like kind of same banner for me of like these like weird taboo forbidden films that when you watch them are um, I mean, there's almost like a weird cheapness to them, but not like in terms of like, just in terms of like, it's not lit particularly well, but that's part of the, that's part of it. That's part of the package, you know, that, that somehow adds to the weird griminess of it. The, the reality of it all. Yeah. yeah. Well, on that note, Tim, <laughs> on that note of the Japanese guinea pig series and necromantic. Oh, it's, some turns. <laughs> it's, it's fun where you end up sometimes down the rabbit hole. Um, I, I had a lot of fun talking about Bordello of Blood. I think we've pretty much reached the end, the bottom of the barrel for, for Bordello of Blood. If you haven't seen Bordello of Blood, I guess you could do a lot worse. But Unless you're looking for something more substantial, this is a very surface level vampire movie with some TNA, but not too much TNA, like Tim said, with some gore, but not too much gore, and a wink and a shrug. And if you're fine with that, you could find it on Amazon Prime. Uh, if you skip it, your life will be just fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is an appropriate level of movie. I would not say I would not say this is an appropriate movie to watch with your children, um, but if you have children who are teenagers. And you have you own this movie. I don't know why you would do that, but if you own this movie and you're worried that they might watch it while you're out of the house, they'll. It's probably fine. Um, it's not going to mess them up too bad. No, I watched it at like three thirty in the morning, and that's that's pretty much the time when you should watch this movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's you. You should look at the clock and go. I should really be in bed, and then it should start playing. And every so often, you should remind yourself. Ah, I should. You know what? I should. I should really go to bed. And then somehow you just kind of keep keep watching. You regret it at the end, but yeah, you don't turn it off. I almost turned it off and went to bed. You're right. I was like, I should. <laughs> I, I said, I'm watching Bordello of Blood. I should. I should go to bed. Like, what am I doing right now? But I kept watching. I persevered, and uh, now I'm here to tell the tale. But I'm glad I did because I got it over with, and now we're doing the show, which is the reason to be doing this. Like, this is the main event, not the movie. So. Um, I want to thank you so much, Tim, for coming on again and talking to me about a movie that's not as good as Muppet Treasure Island. So I appreciate that. Um, that was an accurate statement. Not, not, not many things are as good as Muppet Treasure Island. Um, but I'm sure we'll have you on again. You're so much fun as a guest, so we really appreciate it. There's tons of 1996 movies to revisit, so there's always plenty of, of time and room and fodder for that. Um, tell everybody... Uh, what you're working on and where everybody can find you on social media and how to check out your work. Oh, sure. Of course. Um, so right now I'm working on, uh, I've got a script that's out there in the world uh, at festivals. Um, we're sh- currently shooting a movie about a very fit ghost. Uh, so hopefully we'll have that <laughs> wrapped up by the end of the month. And hopefully um, that'll be making some festival rounds if we make it good. Um, 
Otherwise, uh, our latest film, uh, The Pikmin Model, is available online on YouTube uh, through Alter, uh, through their channel. You can just search for The Pikmin Model. Um, otherwise, uh, you can hunt me down on Instagram or YouTube. On Instagram, I am, and I'm actually looking this up because I am terrible at social media. Uh, I am Tea Time Films at Instagram. Uh, various links are, are there um, to some of our stuff. Um, yeah, that's that's what's going on with me. Fantastic, Tim. Thanks for joining us again. And uh, if you're watching spooky movies this month, uh, make sure they're better than Bordello of Blood. I think you've got the taste for that. So uh, I think I think you'll be fine. But for everybody else listening, it only it's only up from here. So go watch Scream. Go watch The Craft. Go watch The Frighteners. Uh, hell, go watch Tremors too. Um, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Tim. Take it easy. Thanks, Nathan. And we're back. What'd you think? Bordello of Blood. Did you see it when it came out in 1996? You were one of like three people who did. Uh, did you catch it on VHS? Did you catch it on Skinamax after uh, it was released? It was probably a staple on HBO and Cinemax and Showtime. Um, if you were, uh, if you were <laughs> a fan of the uh, of Mammaries, um, I'm sure this caught your attention late at night. Uh, plenty of blood, plenty of boobs. Um, maybe a little light on plot and, uh, maybe a little light on character. Uh, but some people don't give a shit about that. So it is what it is. Uh, Bordello of Blood. If you throw it on, you won't be bored, but is it better than Demon Knight? I don't think you'll find anyone that will die on that hill, uh, or at least will admit to dying on that hill. So with that, we end our second day of our five day marathon of real 96 horror episodes tomorrow we'll have another one for you we are in the thick of it what did you think of bordello of blood check us out on social media or email give us some feedback real 96 podcast at gmail.com we are on the twitter at 96 real we are also on instagram at real 96 podcast and you can find us on facebook we have an official page on facebook the real 96 podcast so until we get uh, spooky again tomorrow in the meantime, go watch a movie. And if you just watched one, go watch another one. Don't be an asshole. You've been listening to The Real 96 Podcast, recorded in the bustling metropolis of Midlothian, Virginia. This show is a Genre Blast production. Now go watch a movie.